Welcome to this Sunday's message from the King's Church Mid-Sussex. Good to see you everyone at church. You're here, hurrah! I'm Jim, I'm one of the pastors and good to connect with you online as well. Those of you that are watching either live on Sunday morning or during the week, we're great that you've connect, glad you connected with us and I'm excited to be able to get into the Bible today. I'm excited to be able to see what God wants to say to us through his word this morning. Um, it's my huge privilege actually to get into the New Testament letter of Philippians. And um, you may have seen last week, Tim, good enough, one of the pastors here, recite the whole letter. Wasn't that extraordinary? Just a, absolutely another round of applause. Just to hear the Bible proclaimed so clearly, the word of God declared was so, so good. And um, today we're going to dive right into chapter one. Loved how we just got the sense of the whole letter last week, but we're going to kind of focus in. If you've got an app, if you've got a Bible, let me encourage you to open it up now. I'd love for you to kind of follow with me as we look into Philippians chapter 1 today. Um, As you do that, let me just say a few things before we get going um, about Philippians as a letter. This letter um, is one of the most joy-filled, kind of uplifting, encouraging letters in the whole of the New Testament. Um, And it's written by Paul, and it's kind of extraordinary that it's so joy-filled when you consider where he is writing it. He's in prison, and he is in this incredibly difficult circumstance, and yet he writes this incredibly uplifting, positive letter. I'm not sure I would be quite as positive if I was in his shoes. Um, He was a political prisoner, actually, facing potential execution, and yet he wrote this letter of such joy, such hope, such encouragement to um, this church in Philippi. Um, it's, like, it's like his personal blog on how to live a happy life, how to live a joy-filled life. Time and time again, Paul will say, as we go through the letter, you'll see this, that our joy is not dependent upon our circumstance, but our joy is dependent upon knowing Jesus Christ. He is our joy. And um, actually, four chapters, 104 verses, Paul talks about joy or rejoicing at least 19 times in just those four chapters. We've called this series A Life Worth Living because really what we're going to see as we go through Philippians is what a mature Christian life looks like, actually. What a life that is kind of centered upon and rooted in Jesus looks like. And it's kind of a unique letter in the New Testament, just to give some of the context, Because Paul, as he writes the letter, he doesn't offer any kind of correction to the church in Philippi. Uh, Some of the letters in the New Testament, if you read them, they're like Paul saying, you know, I mean, I have no praise for you in this. Like if you read Corinthians, for example, it's like, look, guys, I've heard about this. Let me just challenge you about that. I've got no praise for your meetings. And he goes through to try and teach and address these things. There's nothing like that in Philippians at all. So what we see in in this letter as well is what a mature church looks like, what a joy-filled, Jesus-centered church looks like. And so there's loads of stuff here for us to learn individually, for us to learn corporately, and today we are going to be digging into chapter 1, verse 3 to 11, and um, I thought I'd read the verses, and then I thought, 
Well, why would I do that when Tim did such a good job last week? So we've actually taken out these verses from Tim's recital of Philippians last week. So have a look at the screen. These are the verses we're going to be focusing on this morning. I thank God every time I remember you. In in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being, Being confident of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will see it through to completion until the day of Christ. Yeah, it's it's right for me to feel this way uh, about you all since I have you in my heart. And and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how how I long for you with the affections of of Christ Jesus. And, And this is my prayer. That that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so you'll be able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless on the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through faith in Christ Jesus to the praise and, and glory of God. Fantastic. Great stuff. So, this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at three things from these verses about Paul's relationships with the guys in Philippi. The first thing we're going to talk about is Paul's heart for the Philippians. Paul's heart for them. Just these words are so full of love and affection for this church. Just look at some of these verses with me. Verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. Verse 4, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. Verse 8, God can testify how I long for all of you you, with the affection of Christ Jesus. Here's Paul in prison, and he can't hold back, just expressing to this church how much he's for them, how much he loves them, the affection that he has For them. In fact, every time he remembers this church in Philippi, it brings him joy. I'll always remember you in my prayers. I'll always remember you with joy. He longs for them, he says, with the affection of Christ Jesus. What an astonishing line that is. That Paul in prison is longing for this church with the affection of Christ Jesus. Well, what's the affection of Christ Jesus? Well, we think about his love for us displayed on the cross, that love and commitment and affection for us. Paul says, yeah, I have that for you. That's in my heart for you. The amazing love that Steve was speaking about just a couple of weeks ago. It could have been so easy, couldn't it, for Paul to be completely preoccupied with his own circumstance and situation in prison. Um, You don't have to do this, but I would be the first in this situation to think I might be thinking about myself in prison rather than thinking about other people hundreds of miles away. But in Paul's mind, his heart is just, and his mind is just full of these guys in Philippi, and every time he remembers them, joy kind of sweeps over him. And it's so important that we understand like, the atmosphere and the culture of the New Testament, or of New Testament church life. It's filled with this affection 
affection and this joy and this love for one another. Church isn't corporate. Church isn't just mere acquaintances. These relationships Paul had with these churches are of deep affection and joy to him. It's interesting, actually, we can find out who he's writing about by delving back into the Bible a bit. So if you go back into Acts chapter 16, you'll read about how this church began. Um, you may want to, I'm not going to read it all now, you may want to look at this. So when we think, like Paul's writing, I have you in my heart, well, who does he have in his heart? Well, Acts 16 tells us. Acts 16 tells us actually when he was in Philippi, he was put in prison, beaten, tortured, flogged, and put into stocks. Now, you may think, when I say the word stocks, you might think those things we see at fairgrounds sometimes, and you put your hands and your head through and get thrown sponges out. Anyone ever done that? Okay, a few here. Okay, that's not the kind of stocks of, of first century life. The stocks um, in Paul's day were items of torture. Your feet would have been put in them, and they would have distorted your body to such a degree that you lived with con- um, constant pain and spasms and distortion in your body. And that's what Paul had to endure in prison in Philippi. It's amazing that he remembers his time in Philippi with joy at all. I think if it was me, I may want to forget that particular season of my life. He was tortured, flogged, beaten, imprisoned, and and, um, that was his experience. Yet when he remembers the church in Philippi, he remembers them with joy. Well, who's he talking about? He would have remembered Lydia. Lydia was a successful businesswoman, worked in the fashion industry. We read about her in Acts 16. She responded to Jesus in response to Paul's message, and then she opened up her home to him and his traveling companions and said, stay with me. It's very likely the church in Philippi started in Lydia's house. So when he says, I remember you with all the affection of Christ Jesus, he's probably remembering how Lydia opened her home to him. Or or the jailer. When Paul was in prison, in jail, um, it says there's a jailer there who nursed his wounds and became a Christian, and Paul baptized him in his household. So when he's thinking about, oh, I have you in my heart, what is he thinking about? He's thinking about like the jailer in Philippi. These connections are real. They were personal. He would have had meals with them. He would have led them to Jesus. He would have baptized them. This is who Paul would have been talking about. And, And 10 years later, he starts to write a letter, and he says, every time I remember you, oh, it just brings me joy. I have you in my heart. I've got such affection for you. Even now, the Philippians, the reason Paul's writing this letter, actually, is because the Philippians had sent a monetary gift to him to support him in prison. Because in that day, if, if you didn't have financial support, you'd starve to death in prison. And so they'd sent money to help sustain him whilst he was in prison. And he's writing the letter saying, wow, guys, even now your partnership in the gospel, your love for me. Their lives were like entwined because of Jesus. Their lives entwined together with mutual affection and love and joy. Guys, this is the culture of New Testament church life. This is the atmosphere of the Bible, of this beautiful sense of togetherness and partnership and Christians joined together in Christ Jesus. I wonder... How are we doing with that? Is, that? is that our experience? Where does our joy come from? Does our joy come from church, from one another, from these relationships that God has given us, from this community that we've been part of, from the privilege of partnering together to make Jesus known? It's culturally, we're so task-centered. I'm so task-centered. And yet the New Testament is so people-centered, so relationship-centered, so affectionate towards one another. 
It's, it's possible, you know, to be um, close to people physically, even like with social distancing. You can be in the same room as people, but just be miles away relationally and spiritually. And in the same way, you can be miles away from someone, but be completely united in heart, relationally and spiritually. Paul is miles away from these guys in Philippians, and yet their hearts are knitted together because of Jesus. Do we carry that kind of affection in our hearts? Do we, do we find joy because of the relationships that God has given us together in Christ Jesus? You know, as we come out of lockdown, you know what I mean? It's going to be a, an interesting journey for all of us. All of us are going to um, be in different places on that journey. But if we lose this, if we lose the centrality of New Testament relationships, of the sense of community, of the sense of joy in one another, of the sense of partnership together. We've all become accustomed, haven't we, to kind of doing life in our own bubbles. And it's going to be a bit of a journey again to step out of that in the future. But we must ensure that we're holding on to this sense of affection and joy and relationship in one, with one another. Now, I've been um, a pastor here for, um, or a senior pastor here for uh, 13 years now, over 13 years. What's the thing, when I think back, what's the thing that brings me greatest joy when I think about the last 13 years of me being a pastor here? Well, it's people, of course. It's people. It's um, those moments I can remember on, like, Alpha Course Away days, where I'm praying with someone, and they encountered Jesus in the most extraordinary way. And now, like 10 years later, they're still walking with Jesus. And though life may not be easy and there's challenges, you still see them part of the church and walking with Jesus. That's the greatest joy of being a pastor. You led someone to Jesus and they're still walking with Jesus. And you're like, wow, it's so fantastic. That's where joy comes from. Um, for many years, Dominique and I, my wife and I, um, oversaw the youth work here. And we loved, loved it. Do you know what the greatest joy is? seeing where some of those young people are now, walking with Jesus. So a couple of them are here, Adam and Chris. I'll see you over there to my left-hand side. Many others did involved in our church. Katie and OJ, who led worship last week. Um, uh, others who have gone to other places, people like Pete and Esther leading the church in Torquay, or um, one guy that I led to Jesus on a youth alpha course. He and his wife are now being part of a church plant in Berlin, in Germany. And it's like, wow, God, look what you've done. And my heart is filled with joy as I think about these individuals that somehow we've put our lives together and now they're walking with Jesus. This is awesome. This is where joy comes from. I can name countless others who we've kind of been walking together with Jesus for 15, 20 years and it's like we're still walking. We're still partnering together in the gospel. It's just the most beautiful thing. So I can, I can echo these words of Paul. I thank my God every time I remember you. Yeah, I do. Thank my God for this church, for the partnership we have, for the fellowship, for the unity. It's what New Testament church life is all about. It's why community matters and why church matters and why praying for one another matters and why sharing our lives together, it matters. And, and sharing our trials and our triumphs and our tragedies and being there in it all through one another. This is the atmosphere of the New Testament so Paul says, I always pray with joy when I remember you. What a beautiful thing. I always pray with affection for you. Is this the same affection in your heart 
the people that God has put around you? Are they just acquaintances that you happen to see across a car park on a Sunday or maybe even say hello to on chat on YouTube? There's a, there's a deepening of relationships that God continue wants to lead us and draw us into. So that's the first thing, Paul's heart for this church. Second thing I want to draw out from these opening verses is Paul's confidence for this church, his confidence for them. Now, we'll see this as we go through Philippians, but Philippians is like, it like contains like the top 10 most quoted Bible verses ever. Okay, so if you were to do the top 10 most quoted Bible verses ever that have been put onto fridge magnets and bumper stickers and whatever, they're all in Philippians, okay? And this next verse, I reckon, is top five, maybe even top three, okay? Most quoted Bible verses ever. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul says, I pray for you, I remember you, and I'm absolutely confident of this, guys, that God, who started something in your lives, is going to continue it until the day of Christ Jesus. What does the day of Christ Jesus mean? Well, that means the day that um, either we see Jesus face to face or he returns. Until that day when you see Jesus face to face, God is going to continue to work in your life in the way that he began. It's not a Christian cliche. Um, this is real. Again, remember, Paul knew these people. So when he said this, he's thinking, Lydia, Lydia, I was there when you gave your life to Jesus. I was there when you opened your home to us. Lydia, I'm absolutely persuaded that God began a good work in you and he's going to see it through until completion. The jailer, we don't know his name. The jailer, I remember that night you gave your life to Jesus. I baptized you in your household. I saw what God did. He's not going to give up on you now. He's going to carry on to the day of completion. So important here to see that Paul's confidence is not in the Philippians' ability to continue their life with God, but in God's promise to them that he's going to do it. Or what God's going to do in their lives. So important that we get this. Hope you're listening in here. Hope you're listening at home, watching this whenever you're watching this. God the creator of heaven and earth is not going to give up on you. Never. Ever. He will not give up on you. For any reason, in any circumstance, if God has begun a good work in you, he will be faithful to complete it. Man, that's good news. If you want, you can give me a clap. I don't know. That's a round of applause moment, I think. Okay, he will not get bored with you. He will not forget about you. He will not lose interest in you. He will not lose heart. He will not move on. He will not get distracted. If God has begun a good work in your life, he is going to be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. I want to emphasize this so much today because there are people maybe here or people watching online and today you are wondering, has God given up on me? No, the one who started a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Why do I say that with such confidence? Because it's in the eternal word of God, which I hold as true and eternal and it's relevant for your life today. And it's him. Some of us have lost confidence in our own ability. <laughs> We're struggling to pray or struggling to worship, struggling to engage with God. God feels far away. 
Lockdown hasn't helped with that. Just made the distance feel even further. And it's left you feeling like maybe you're holding on to faith just by a thread. Well, here's the good news for you today. It's not about your ability to sustain it. It's about the promise of God who says, what I began, I will complete. He is faithful. He is faithful. Your life in God and our life in God, it started with his initiative, his grace, his salvation. Guess what? It continues with his grace. It's all his grace. What we're called to do is to rest in the grace of God and to believe that what the Bible says about us is true. He who began a good work in your life will be faithful to complete it. In fact, there's even a verse in 2 Timothy 2 that says, even when we are faithless, he is faithful that awesome? Even when we are faithless, he is faithful. Guys, the outcome is guaranteed. It's not dependent on how well you think you're doing or how often you screw up. God, if he began a good work in you, he will be faithful to complete that work that he begun. It's certain. When he starts something, he finishes it. He's not going to stop what he started. Look where you've come from. Look where you were. Look what God has done. And then have confidence that he is committed to you. Even if right now he feels very far away, God will complete what he begun. And I know some people are struggling. I know that. I've had conversations with some. But I have seen what Jesus has done in your lives. I've seen it. I know it's real. And what he begins, he will complete. Wow, this is good news. It's good news. So we've seen Paul's heart for the Philippians. We've seen Paul's confidence for the Philippians. One more thing. Let's think about his prayer for them. He actually prays an amazing prayer, which is a great prayer for us to pray for one another. It's just worth us pausing and reflecting for a moment the fact that Paul is praying for them at all, actually. He's praying for them in prison. It's an amazing thing. Um, He says this, In all my prayers for all of you, I pray with joy. Like I said, I think if it was me, my prayers might be different. My prayers might be, God, get me out of here. God, what are you doing? God, why am I in prison? But Paul isn't praying about himself. He's praying about others. He's praying for others, which is an amazing thing. And it's a question worth asking, actually, when we consider our prayer life. What's the focus of my prayers? Or maybe here's the question. Who is the focus of my prayers? Are are my prayers other-centered in the way that Paul's prayers were always other-centered? It wasn't him-centered. He was always praying for others. Why? Why is it always other-centered? Because he had them in his heart, and what is in our heart overflows in our prayers. So if we're carrying people in our hearts, what's going to happen naturally? We're going to, that's going to be an overflow of our prayers. We're going to be praying for them because we carry them in our hearts. And let me ask this a bit of a provoking and challenging question. If our prayers are always me-centered, what might be in our hearts? For carrying others, do our prayers therefore overflow for them? And he prays an amazing prayer. He prays this. He prays that their love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He's basically saying this, guys, I want you to keep growing in Jesus. 
I want you to keep growing in your relationship with Jesus. Uh, Don't just settle where you are. I I pray that your love may abound, that your love for God and for others may continue to grow and and abound. It's a great thing to pray for one another. How's your love going for others and for God? Is it growing? Is it abounding? Is it something that you think about, that I think about? Is our love for God and for others growing? And he says, I pray that your love may abound in knowledge and depth of insight. So in an awareness of who God is and his will and his character. And depth of insight talks about discernment, that we may understand what God's will is and what his heart is, so that, he says this, so that you may be able to discern what is best. Interesting thing, that is. Life is confusing. Anyone find the world a complex place to live in? Especially because of the last 12 months. God, what are you saying? God, what are you doing? God, how am I meant to react? What am I meant to say? What am I meant to do? What's your will? Paul is saying, I want you to be able to discern what is best. Well, how does that happen? Well, it starts by our love abounding in knowledge and depth of insight so that we may be able to discern. How do we make right decisions? How do we hear the will of God? How do we discern what's really important in life? These words kind of speak about, in the original, what, like, what really counts. That in our life, we'll give ourselves to what really counts. Not give ourselves to stuff that's actually irrelevant in the kingdom of God, but we give ourselves to stuff that matters. And he's praying, I pray for you guys in Philippi that you may grow in God, that your love may grow, your knowledge may grow, your insight and discernment may grow so you can make good decisions in life, that honor God, so that you may also, he says, be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So you may be ready to meet Jesus. I pray your love may abound from God to you, that your love may abound, so you may be able to live a life full of discernment and wisdom on the world, so you may be ready for the day that you're going to meet Jesus. We're all going to meet Jesus. Maybe watching this online, some point during the week, you're going to meet Jesus one day. Paul's prayer here is that we'd be ready for that day. Are you ready for that day when you meet Jesus? When you have to stand before him face to face? Paul's desire is this church know God and know his love and live in such a way that they're preparing for that day. Are we preparing for that day when we meet Jesus? So that our lives may be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. So we may live lives that reflect his heart and his character and his goodness. This is a great prayer to pray. The Christian life is meant to be a life of growth. It's not meant to be static, guys. Love to abound. Knowledge to develop, wisdom and discernment to grow. Paul's saying to these guys in Philippi, I'm praying that this would happen. I'm praying for this for us as a church, that love may abound for one another, for our community, for God. Knowledge and insight may abound, that we may make good decisions and learn what is best. That we actually, ultimately, that we as a people, individually and corporately, may be ready for that day when we meet Jesus. Because ultimately, that's where all of us are heading. A day when we will meet him face to face. Are we ready for that day? I'd love us to just think about these things in response. That'd be great. Worship team, thank you. So in these opening eight verses that we've looked at today, we've looked at Paul's incredible heart for this church. I love you guys. Have the affection of Christ Jesus for you and 
been challenged to think, is that how I feel towards the people that God's put in my life, brothers and sisters in Christ? You've looked at Paul's confidence for them. I'm absolutely certain that he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. I want you to know God hasn't finished with you yet. There's more to come. What's that more to come? That your love may abound in knowledge and depth of insight. I wonder if you're comfortable, why don't we just stand in the room? Is that okay? Just, I want us to pray. Um, hey, I'd love to be able to invite people and us lay hands on one another and pray. I can't do that right now, but God knows that. The Holy Spirit can meet us in wonderful ways. Watching at home, I believe the Holy Spirit can meet you where you're at watching this. I want to pray for the Holy Spirit to come. It says in Romans 5.5, 5, God has poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit to pray for our love to abound. I can't manufacture more love. What do I need? I need to know the love of God that changes me so my love may abound. Maybe you're here thinking, I don't know where God is. feels like he's forgotten me. Maybe you need to hear the Holy Spirit confirm today. No, no, I haven't forgotten. I'm going to complete what I started. Maybe this is a prayer you want. Maybe you're praying, Lord, may my love, knowledge, and insight abound so I may be ready for that day. If you're comfortable, you may want to just open your hands. I'm just going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come. Do you welcome you, Holy Spirit, into this place, this auditorium? And also, as people are watching this, whether it's live now or catch up during the week, we pray, Lord, for people in homes and kitchens, workplaces maybe, maybe watching this on the train. Come Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you may pour your love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Pray that right now that people will have a fresh sense of the love of God poured out upon them. While we were praying this morning, um, there's, a, there's a crowd of us at 9am on Zoom praying. Everyone's welcome to that, by the way. It's great to pray. There's a couple of words came through. And um, it's amazing, actually, because the person didn't know what I was preaching on. There's a word for people who are here today or watching online who feel like they almost want to give up on faith. And the word was this, incredible. God has not finished with you yet. He will be faithful. He will be faithful. And, he, and the Holy Spirit wants to meet you today. Here, at home, wherever you are, the Holy Spirit wants to meet you today. There's another word about Clarity for thought, someone struggling for clarity in a situation, for wisdom. It's amazing that that word came this morning in the prayer meeting and there's a verse here that says that we may be filled with knowledge and insight so we may discern what is best. Feel that God wants to say, I will bring, come to me with your confusion. Come to me. 
that my knowledge, love, insight abounds. That you may know what is best. You may be able to discern it. So I pray for any individuals where those words make sense. I pray, come Holy Spirit. Bring assurance, Lord, and bring clarity, I pray in Jesus' name. Just if there's anyone who's connecting with this and you have not given your life to Jesus, there's going to be a day when we stand before him. Everyone will. The Bible's clear about that. I want to encourage you today. You can prepare for that day by making him Lord and Savior of your life now. By saying, do you know what? I want to give my life to Jesus. I want my life to be centered upon Jesus. There's some people here, I think you grew up in a Christian home and for some reason you're watching this today, and you made the decision in early teenage years to run away from God, and God is saying, I haven't stopped looking, I haven't stopped watching your life, and I'm calling you home today, I'm calling you back. Center your life upon Jesus today. Come center your life upon Jesus. It says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Hallelujah. Just call upon him, wherever you're sat right now, just call out the name Jesus called upon his name and I believe that God will come and meet with you in power if you're watching online we're actually um, at the end of our meeting there's going to be a chance for you to connect with online prayer ministry through Zoom rooms and I'd encourage you if God's speaking to you today there'll be some information Kiers will share about that in a little while but you can connect with people online to pray but before we finish I want us to worship going to introduce an amazing new song that sings about the promises of God. He who is faithful will carry on the work that he has started in your life. Hallelujah. Let's worship together. Thanks for listening to this message from the King's Church Mid-Sussex. To connect with us online, visit tkc.org.uk. We hope you'll join us again soon.